0: As I mentioned, today we're continuing in our series. It's week 3 of our series exposing the enemy. And if you're our, our guest or you've missed any of the last couple of weeks, this series uh in this series we're looking at different names and titles of our enemy the devil so we can expose him and be victorious over him. Again, this is not a devil glorifying series. This is a God glorifying series and how we can overcome the enemy. In week one, we we exposed Lucifer. We looked at the origins of our enemy and how he was a beautiful and powerful angel that God created to oversee worship in heaven, but then he was filled with pride and he got kicked out of heaven. And I showed you from the scriptures how the enemy still uses pride to attack us and try to get us to be prideful. And uh, and we sh- I sh- also showed that Lucifer didn- didn't go from humility to-, to pride. He went from worship to pride. So the antidote to pride is actually worship. It's worshiping God, taking the focus off ourselves and putting it upon the Lord. And then last week, we exposed Satan. The word Satan means adversary or opponent. And I showed you a few things. That Satan opposes us because we belong to Jesus and that Satan defeats some people and not others because some people are not actively using the word of God. You see, he really opposes us because we belong to Jesus and he opposes the truth of the word of God because he's a liar, right? And the father of lies, as Jesus said. And then thirdly, we protect ourselves by being totally committed to God's word. And I showed you from the scriptures how it said that uh, those would be deceived because because uh, they didn't love the truth of the word. That word love is agape and the meaning of agape and that scripture was being committed, totally committed. Our lifestyles, our decisions to the word of God. So if you missed any of the last two weeks, you can go to our app, website, podcast, all the other social media platforms to check that out. Today we're going to be exposing the devil. That's probably the most common name. A lot of times we say Satan, but we say the devil. But as I said, there's, there's different titles, there are different meanings that are meaningful. The, the The Bible puts them in there for a reason. So the word devil in Greek, which most of us know, means diabolos, and this is slander, or accuser. And what I want to tell you today is that the devil tries to divide us from every redemptive relationship in our lives. By slander and accusations. Every single redemptive relationship we have, he tries to divide us. He's always trying to come in to, to kill, steal, and destroy, to try to divide. We're always talking about unity and, and, and talking of last year. I, I don't know, since I've been alive, a time starting last year where our country, America, was more divided than ever before. I believe Diablos is behind all of that. I I get it. People have to make decisions and stuff, but there's ultimately a spirit driving a lot of this stuff, and it's the spirit of the devil. There are four relationships the devil doesn't want you to have, and he's actively seeking to divide these relationships. These four relationships are sacred relationships that our society is built upon, and listen to me, our lives depend upon it. A lot of times we think relationships are just disposable. Disposable. But these four, really are relationships, that I'm going to show you today, our lives depend upon, our society is built on. it. here they are, our relationship with God, God and mankind. And then marriage, marriage between a man and a woman in a covenant bond together. And really you can say family, husband and wife and the family. And then, of course, church and godly relationships and then relationships with authority. So here's God's will for all of our lives. Every person in an intimate relationship with him, and I just read that even King David, the first thing he challenged his son was to know God intimately, a loving, committed marriage and family, a strong Bible-believing church, and then right standing with authority on every level. That's God's will for us. Here's the devil's will for, for, for you and me. Every person separated from God without loving, committed family relationships, without a church and rebellion to authority. Let me ask you, are we seeing this played out in our life today? Is the devil trying to divide these four relationships in our society more than ever before, right? See, the Lord created us to need him and to need each other. After God created everything, he said it's good. Then he created us as man and woman, human beings, and he said it's very good. But you know, after the creation, you know, there was one thing God said that wasn't good. It was for man to not be alone. He said, this is not good. For a man to be alone. And he created Eve to be his wife. And then, of course, where we come from. God, from the very beginning, knew that it wasn't good. Even the most intimate relationship we have with him, we need each other. Again, marriage between a man and a woman is of God. Family is of God. Amen? Would you agree? Again, Brother Francis was ahead of his time. When he named this church, and back in 1980, it was Family Life Christian Fellowship. When they named, he was ahead of his time. He had vision about the family, both the natural family and the church family. You think about back then in the charismatic movement coming out of that. It was Word of Life, Word of Faith. Brother Francis named this church Family Life. He he knew, he he had the heart of God and the heart of how important family is. Him and Ms. Babs, how important family, uh, church family and, and natural families as well. And we see that because, you know what, God created family before he created even his own church. We see that, right? He created Adam and Eve in marriage before there was a church, before there was laws, before there was sacrifice. It was the family, right? And again, even on Father's Day, God reveals himself as a father, right? And we're his children. Jesus is the groom and we're the bride, right? He shows the importance of family, of marriage, and uh between husbands and wives, fathers and children. We need God. We need marriage. We need family. And we need church, and we need authority in our lives. Amen? See, the devil knows this, so he tries to divide every one of these relationships, but we can overcome him, church. Amen? Remember, this is called exposing the enemy. We want to expose the enemy, especially in relationships. I remember hearing a man I got years ago, and I'm going to start off with this. I just remember this. you got to remember it. I'm going to read this scripture in a minute, but we're not fighting against personalities. We're fighting against principalities. In relationships, a lot of times we're fighting against the person and their personality and how they talk and what they said and all this stuff. We got to remember that Diabolos is behind this. He's the accuser. He's he's the slanderer. So today I want to show you how the devil tries to divide us and how we can expose and defeat him And these four relationships. So here they are. Here are the four relationships. Number one, God in us. He tries to divide God in us. He accuses God to us first and foremost. What do I mean by that? Every bad thing that happens in your life, the devil will try to tell you that God is no good. Every time something bad happens, you'll try to try to accuse God and say, oh man, if God was good, why did he do that? Come on, some of y'all shaking your head because y'all have heard that voice before, right? Look at Genesis 3, 1 and 5. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit of, from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat. The fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. See, we talked about this in week one. First, Lucifer is trying to ex- inspire pride. That's his name when he first created, uh, to make them think about themselves instead of God. And also, the devil is accusing God. He's saying God is a liar. He said, no, 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 no. God lied. You, you, it won't harm you. You won't die if you do this. God is a liar. Now think about this. How cunning the serpent, how stealthy the serpent is. He convinced Two perfect people living in a paradise that God was a bad person. Stop and think about that. That's how deceptive the enemy is. Think about Adam and Eve hadn't had a bad day. They hadn't gotten sick. There was no sin on the earth. Remember, right? This is before the fall. They're living in paradise. And still the enemy convinced them and lied to them, accused God to them that he was bad and that he was wrong. The devil convinced them that God was wrong, and then they sinned, and he's been doing the same thing to people ever since. He's still doing it. What makes the devil so dangerous, and I just hit on it, is his stealth. This is what we're going to expose in this message. See, the devil could have taken any form of any animal, but he chose the serpent because snakes are very stealthy. Isn't that right? Okay, how many of y'all know there's only one kind of good snake? Come on, somebody. I knew I'm in the right place as a dead one. And I was reminded, I love how the Lord does that. I was reminded of this just the other day, just last week. I'm I'm, I'm getting my dog, trying to get my dog ready for hunting season still, nine-month-old yellow lab. And and so I've been taking him to a, a crawfish pond just right down the road. And just kind of working with them where well, I went the other day and the crawfish pond was drained. So there was still just a little bit of water in it, but in the rows where the cages were. But there was also some strips of, of dry ground. So I put on my hip boots and I got my dog. We get out of the truck. We get in there. And as soon as we start walking on this strip of of, of, of dry land, as I'm walking alone, because I see the little duck pond that I'm going to go try to go work with them in, there's snakes. Every 10 to 15 steps, snakes coming out the water, going into the into the grass. And I'm like... You know the word heebie-jeebies? I don't know what that means, but that's what I was feeling. I don't know the original uh, contents. Of, I mean, snakes coming out. And, and you know, but, and I, I just began to think about this as I was studying. It's true. This is only a couple of inches of water and I'm walking about here to the edge and I've never saw those snakes. I, I'd have never known they were in there if they, when they came out. And you know what's really crazy? It's cause I'm trying to get, tend to get them acclimated and stuff with water and retrieving and all those things. I thought when I first got there, man, maybe I should walk in this little bit of water, me and my dog, till we get to the duck pond. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I stayed on dry ground. Finally, after seeing what I felt like a hundred snakes, it probably wasn't that many. There was one that came out of the water. Most of them was calling out and going to the grass. One came up, kind of curled up and was looking straight at me and my dog. I'm like, all right, we're done. Back to the truck. Let's go, Drake. We're, <laughs> um, we'll, we'll find another pond." <laughs> I mean, you know, but it's true, right? They are. Even before when I used to go and there was a lot of water I would, I would see the grass moving. I'd see, and I knew there were snakes. I'd tell myself there were frogs, but I knew there were snakes, right? But you don't, a lot of times people get bit by snakes because they're stealthy. You never know they're there until it's too late, till you step on them or you, you see them slithering away. See, back to Genesis. In, later in Genesis, when God calls for Adam, he tells God he was hiding because he was afraid because of his nakedness. God asked him, who told you you were naked? Let me say this, God never asked a question to get an answer. He never asked a question to get an answer. God asks a question to, so you can locate where you are and where I'm at and to teach us a lesson. So basically what he was telling Adam was, you know what, as soon as you sinned, you gave the devil an opening and he used it to lie to you. He was filled with pride. He disobeyed. And now he lied to him and told him that he was naked and he should be ashamed of his nakedness when him and uh, Eve again were just walking free and there was no shame on them. We talked about this last week, how, how we open the door to the enemy if we allow him to, if we allow him to come in. God was saying, you've been deviled and you don't even know it. See, he didn't even realize all that happened. Oh, just eat this little fruit. Maybe it's true. And you know what? Sin entered his life their life, and we're still in with it today. So here's the point. If you don't know how to deal with the devil, he will slither in and slither out of your life, and you never even know you've been devil. Remember, we're talking about relationships here, your relationship with God. You know, a lot of times we have thoughts and th- things, and I'm going to get into that, and people whispering in our ears, and even though it's some people, the enemy uses people to slither in and tell you lies about God. And I referenced the scripture earlier, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 3 and 6. For though we live in the body, we do not wage war in an unspiritual way. Since our weapons of our warfare are not worldly, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Listen, our weapons against the enemy are not guns and bombs. They are God's thoughts and God's words. So the enemy plants thoughts in our minds and he lies to us. We got to look it to God's word as we talked about all last week. See what God thinks about us and what God says about it. That's the truth, right? The devil does whisper accusations in our thoughts. Any thought, let me say this, any thought that you don't take captive will take you captive. Let me say it another way. Any thought you haven't already taken captive has already taken you captive. Right now, there are people sitting here and listening to me online. There are some thoughts that have taken you captive, specifically with your relationships and your relationship with God. Because you maybe have believed a lie. Here's an example. You can tell when you're reading the Bible, and the Bible tells you how much God loves you, and God forgives you or will forgive you. And you sit there and think, God could never love me. God could never forgive me for all the things that I've done. That's how you know it's a lie from the pit of hell. When you hear that, when you think that way, the enemy is accusing God to you. There's no way that God can really love you. It says every high-minded thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, we must pull down. Again, here's that again, the knowledge of God, right? Because the main thing in life is we want to know God intimately. And Satan knows this. The devil knows that God created us to be in an intimate relationship with him. And so he whispers lies to try to accuse the Lord to us. So he builds strongholds in our thinking that keep us from knowing the Lord in this way. We defeat him by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I love this. The word obedience or obey here means spear point. So what he's saying is we're at war. Just taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We we, we, we got to understand and learn to know what the, 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 is a lie from the enemy and what's the truth of the word? Again, how do you know that? If it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's a lie and you must take it captive. That means you must not believe it. You must speak it out. I actually pray that. When I'm, my thoughts start wondering, sometimes it's just in distraction, but sometimes when I believe, when I'm starting to believe or I hear something I know is a lie, I'll literally quote that scripture. And I say, man, I take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind. I thank you, Lord, that I have the mind of Christ. I just begin to quote scripture, and I just get rid of it. I begin to think, okay, what does the word of God really say? That's how you do that. Remember, every thought in your mind has to be examined. Every thought that comes in your mind. Remember, he's stealthy, y'all. we got to realize sometimes we think it's our own thoughts, but it's him dropping thoughts there. It's not our own doing. And if it doesn't line up with God's word, we need to examine and take it captive. He slithers in and whispers lies like, if God loves you, why did that happen? If God loves you, why did we just prayed for this brother for, for weeks? Why did he pass away? You know, and he'll, he'll accuse God, and really it's God's character. So listen, if you don't, going back to even talking about fathers, if you don't have a good earthly father, the devil uses lies to try to accuse God that he's not a good heavenly father. We've seen it time and time again. But Jesus himself said that our father in heaven is perfect. I get it. All of our dads have missed the mark, and some of our dads were absent and abusive, and, 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 and I mean, my heart breaks for you. I, it goes out, of, you know, I, I've heard horror stories about how fathers treated their children, but that's not our father in heaven. He'll use those wounds to whisper lies, to accuse God to us, to keep us from the Lord. Next, the devil accuses us to God. Revelation 12, 10 and 2 says this, that I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. Come on, church, right there. See, we got our accuser? But come on, we can defeat him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. See, the devil even accuses us to God. But God doesn't listen to him because praise God, our advocate, Jesus is standing at the right hand of God defending us. Amen? Right? I mean, obviously, God's all-knowing, but the Bible says he's in there. Jesus standing at the right hand of God, interceding for us. So he accuses God to us. He accuses us to God. Next, the devil accuses us to ourselves. Look at Romans 8, 1 and 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you belong to him, the power of his life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death see how does the devil accuse us with shouts of condemnation when you feel condemned when when you, when you start beating yourself up about something that you've done it's the enemy accusing yourself accusing you to yourself now listen there is conviction of the holy spirit the devil condemns and the holy spirit convicts cuz we do want to know when there's sin in our life when we're sinning and we need, to, we need to get right with the Lord, we do. But how do you know the difference between the 2 voices, the condemnation of the devil and the conviction of the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit's conviction is specific, loving, and helpful. He'll convict you of sin, but then show you how to get free and help you to get free, right? Even in temptation, it says that all of us are tempted, but when we're tempted, the Lord shows us a way out. Condemnation, on the other hand, is general with no way out. That's how you know it's the devil. A lies of condemnation, like you messed up for the last time. God don't want to have nothing to do with you. You'll never be forgiven. The church hates you. You might as well just move on. Things like that are condemnation. But again, the Holy Spirit is loving. He's, 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 he's gentle and helpful. Amen. He is our helper, right? The Holy Spirit. Yes, he came to convict the world of his sin, but the Bible also says he's our comforter and our helper. Amen. Amen. So this is the first relationship God tries, or the devil tries to divide. It's God and us. And it's the first one because, again, it's the most important one. Secondly, he tries to devise us from our spouses, those of us that are married. And if you plan on getting married one day, this is very important. Matthew 19, 3 and 8. Some Pharisees approached him, talking about Jesus, to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, with God joined together, man must not separate. Now listen to this. This is very interesting. Why then, they asked, did Moses command... Us to give divorce papers and send her away. He told them Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart, but it was not like that from the beginning. First of all, Moses never commanded it. Jesus corrected him and said Moses permitted it. He permitted it because of the hardness of their hearts. But we see Jesus speaking here, saying that God never intended for there to be divorce. Right. And we see again an example of biblical marriage. He created the male and female and that the man should be united to his wife and become one flesh. Amen. That's biblical marriage. And that's the way that God intended marriage to be. How does a marriage couple go, married couple go from being madly in love and tender hearted to being bitter and hard hearted? I think one of the key reasons is found in Ephesians 4. And I want to read out the amplified version. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Do not let your anger cause you shame or allow it to last until the sun goes down. Don't go to bed angry is what it's saying. And do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. Come on, the amplified breaks it down what he's trying to say here, right? See, when you go to bed angry at your spouse, you open a door to the devil to slither in, to accuse your spouse to you, and then slither out again. And again, you never know you've been deviled. That's what that scripture is saying. When you go to bed angry at your spouse, or really anybody, but in the context, you know, we're talking about uh, marriages here and family, he slithers in and at night, he's whispering accusations, or even before you go to bed, right? How many of y'all have gone to bed white-hot angry, and it takes you an hour to go to sleep because you just keep replaying the things that happen between you and your spouse. And he, slithered it, he slithers in, and he accuses your spouse to you. First, you're deceived. You believe the lie about your spouse. And then second, you lose your passion. Your passion leaves your marriage, and that's how you become hard-hearted. See, I, some of you that was at the marriage conference... Jimmy Evans said this, and I thought it was so powerful. When you go to bed angry, you begin to see your spouse through the devil's eyes. Somebody needs to write that down right there. When you go to bed angry, you begin to see your spouse through the devil's eyes. When you forgive, you see them through God's eyes. See, that's that's his point. He wants you. He says, be angry, but do not sin. Anger is a natural emotion. We get angry, right? I was angry at every snake I saw that day in that pond. Anger is a natural emotion, right? But he says, do not sin and don't go to bed. You're opening a door to the devil when you go to bed mad, church. When you go to bed angry, and, and that's why I wanted to read the Amplified because it breaks it down. When you hold a grudge, when you refuse to forgive, you're harboring anger. So listen up. If you've gone to bed angry and you're holding grudges, you're under the influence of Diablos, and you've deeply held beliefs about your spouse and other people that are lies. I'm not saying that your spouse and everybody you you mad at perfect far from it I get it but if you are continuing to go to bed angry and you're refusing to forgive and you're holding a grudge you're under the influence of the devil and you're believing lies and those lies are separating you from people like even your earthly father again and I mean I, I it's always touching to touch on this I know there's some dads that have been very abusive very neglective but but you may have gotten to a fight with your dad or, or, or whatnot recently. And listen, especially on Father's Day, I just, I, I felt impressed as I was going over my notes the morning, to, this morning to put this in there. Come on, you need to go make that right. Let today be the beginning of reconciliation. I know it don't happen overnight, but listen, come on, y'all. We, we don't want to be under the influence of the enemy, right? Make it a point to do that. But listen, going back to going to bed tonight, if you, you know, make it a point not to go to bed angry. Listen, even if your spouse don't want to make things right, you can devil-proof your heart by forgiving them before going to bed. They may refuse, but you know what? You can devil-proof your heart. You can say, you know what, Lord? I, I forgive them. I release them. And you can devil-proof your heart so you can go to bed and continue to see your spouse through the Lord's eyes. Amen. Thirdly, he tries to divide us in the church, our relationship, not the building, not the sign of the road. I'm talking about our relationship, the church, the whole church. Amen. The the church of Jesus Christ is our community, state, city in the world. Look at Matthew 18, 20. Jesus said, for where two or three come together in my name, I am there with them. Church, there's a special anointing of God's presence when we meet together with other believers. You sense it. You know that. That's why when we worship it, and Brother James had that word, and just you, could, you sense the anointing of God is stronger, amen? Whenever we're worshiping together, there's a special anointing of God's presence when we meet together. But let me ask you this question. Why doesn't Jesus make that promise to always be with us when we're alone? You know why? Because he doesn't want us to be alone. Remember back to Genesis? It's not good for man to be alone. So the promise is, look, whenever you get together with my church, I'm going to always be with you. We know he's always with us personally, right? The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We know that. But there's something about he's encouraging us. When you come together as my church and you pray and you worship and you do warfare, listen, I will be right there with you. Because he doesn't want us to be alone. See, think about it this way, right? The enemy. He's like he's a wolf, right? A wolf loves a lone sheep. And the wolf won't attack the sheep if they're in the flock, especially when they're close to the shepherd. So when we're in together in the flock and we're close to the shepherd, right? We, we're, we're Again, it's another way we're protected from the attacks of the enemy. And we could overcome them. Look at Jesus speaking to Peter, Matthew 16, 18. Now I say to you that you, Peter, which means rock, and upon that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. There's a special anointing of God's power and protection when we get together as a church as well. See, and the devil knows this, so he wants to keep us from, from those that will encourage our walk with the Lord and from gaining power in the community of believers. There's something powerful about it. Yes, and I get it. I mean, we, we like online service. We're glad last year it helped. But listen, online will never substitute this. I'm sorry, online uh, viewers, we glad you're with us. But I want to encourage you. You may be working. You may still be having some. I, I understand. But listen, there's something about coming together. Meeting together. Did you know it was commanded? I know if you've heard me of any time, I've read the scripture many times, Hebrews 10, 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now the day of, of his return is drawing near. As the time of the end gets closer and closer, we need to continue to come together and worship and pray and hug each other and be with each other, lay hands on each other. Amen. Again, I get it. You're still connecting online. I'm not trying to discourage you from, from tuning in. But listen, it'll never be this is good as good as every once in a while, but it never is a substitute to come together. I've said it before. You see it even throughout our society. I don't know about your kids. If your kids went to school, when they started doing virtual or my kids did hybrid, they would do great on in-person, and they would struggle on the days they were virtual. And that just, whenever I saw that, and all my kids are good students. And I thought about that. Why is that? Because even our children are made to be in community. And there's something about learning in person from a mentor, from a father, or a mother figure, right? I mean, it's, it's true. You see it even in gyms. Why? People shut down and get home gyms. I, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't do good working out at home. I mean, I don't do that good working out anywhere. But anyway, I do better if I go to the gym. And I think part of my wife, she's big into, like, she loves Working out in classes and we're with like a trainer. And why is that? I begin to think about it. Because we're made to be in community. First of all, spiritually, as a family, as a church, even in education and exercise, we're made to be together. Amen? And the fourth and final thing, we'll wrap it up here. Us from authority. I mentioned it us from authority. God's always trying to get us, I mean, I'm sorry, the devil is trying to get us to rebel against authority. Look at Romans 13, 1 and 2. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authorities comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. All authority is from God. See, the devil is a rebel, and he incites us to rebel as well. He Just like he's a liar. He whispers lies. He tries to get us to tell lies, cues, accus- accusations, slandering. But he's a rebel. That's what got him kicked out of heaven. Remember, he was prideful and he rebelled against God's authority and said, no, 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 no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get my throne that's going to be even better than yours. It's going to be higher than yours. What's the first thing he tempted Adam and Eve was? To rebel against what God told him to do. God said you can eat all of this, all of this fruit. Picture the most beautiful fruit and vegetables you've ever seen in your life. This was paradise. He said, you can have it all. Just don't touch this one tree. And he got them to rebel. And he's still doing it today. He hates authority. And this is the key, church. This is what you need to know. Because when we're under authority, he can't touch us. When we're under the covering, let me use this word, when we're under the covering of authority. I remember quite a few times Pastor Todd used an illustration where he had an umbrella and he would hold the umbrella and say, hey, this is what it's like being under authority. We're protected from, you know, certain things. But when we rebel against any authority, we step out from under that protection and we expose ourselves to the enemy. We're trying to expose the enemy now. But last week I talked about open doors. And now this is another way you expose yourself to the enemy's attacks is by not being under the cover of authority. Whether your children in here and you're still living in your parents' home, your parents on authority, you're covered under them. Whether you know husbands again, wives, husbands, we're supposed to cover our wives. You see that? You see that in Ruth, where she went up to whenever she was laying down uh, uh right there, she said, "Cover me." She wants she. We we need to cover our wives and wives. You know, again, we're under a cover. I know it's not always easy. I get it, and also. It's the same way with spiritual authority. As pastors, we want to try to help you and cover you. I pray for you daily. I'm trying to cover you spiritually. And when we encourage you and preach the word of God and the truth of the word of God, we want to help you. We want to cover you. I had a young man come up to me one day, and he wanted to change his profession. First time being back since COVID. And he asked me, he said, man, I'm thinking about going into this profession. And it would incite some sinful behavior. And he said, I want to see if you, I can have your blessing. And I said, no, I can't give you my blessing for going to do that. I said, because you're just going to be encouraging people to sin. And he said, okay, all right. He said, I I just thought I'd ask it. I said, no. And then later he came back. and said, man, you was absolutely right, man. I'm going a different direction, right? I could have said, oh, man, I know the economy's bad and times are hard, and I guess you can do it. No, that's my job is to cover him, amen? And I want to try as his authority to say, no, that you're going to go in the wrong direction here. And so we do the same thing. So don't get out from under that cover. Remember James 4, 7, therefore submit to God, right? Submit to his authority. Submit to his covering. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, right? You see that? You got to be under authority first. The authority of God, the authority that God has set, whether it's governmental, church, husbands, wives, parents, whatever the case may be. The devil is constantly accusing authority to us until we rebel and then he steps out from under, uh, then we step out from under his covering and he's there. Isn't that just how the enemy works? He encourages us, rebell, rebare, rebel, do oh yeah, the God didn't say they did you don't have to do that. You can do the total opposite. And as soon as we do it, he's right there to trap us. To trip us up. And then what does he do? He starts accusing us. Oh man, you 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 blew it. Can't believe you did that, right? It's a trap, like we talked about, right? You remember the word of God is our, our lamp and a light unto our path to see these traps that the enemy is trying to set. Hey, there's a book I read years ago. Here's a little resource for you on this subject. This is the shortest point. You can write this down. A book by John Bevere called Undercover. Great book. And it talks about the protection of covering, a spiritual covering, but really applies to all covering. So if you like to read, check out that book, Undercover by John Bevere. I Googled it this morning. Still all over the internet. So as we close. Let me ask you a question. Which one of these relationships has the devil been successfully dividing in your life? Come on, we want to expose them today, church, right? Which one of these has he's been successfully dividing in your life? Is it your relationship with God? You see, sin separates us from God, the Bible tells us. And the devil uses sin to drive that wedge even further. But God has made a way to bring, together, bring us back to him again, bring us together to him. I read Romans, some of Romans 8 earlier. Let me continue on. Romans 8, 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. In other words, nothing we can do religiously is ever going to save us. There's nothing we can do. They they were following the law to the T. Paul's saying, listen, that, that can't save us. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Maybe the enemy's been driving a wedge between you and the Lord, and you may be already a believer, but maybe you, you're not even a believer. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've, you've been coming to church, and, and maybe you're even a religious person. You come to church, you do good things, but you know what? The Bible makes it clear that that's not going to save us. You know why? Because we're sinners. And the Bible says we've all sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard. Yes, next to a murderer, you might look pretty good. But next to God, we all fall short. And Jesus provided a way to bring us back to God or bring us to God for the first time. Or maybe the enemy's lied to you and you've been backslidden. Maybe you've gone away from the Lord. Maybe you're here today and you hear here with your dad or your parents and it's been a long time since you've been in church. The Lord's calling you home today. calling you to come back to him. Would you do me a favor right here before we go through the other three? Just bow your head and close your eyes with me. What's your relationship with God like? Maybe you've never started that relationship with the Lord. Again, church, I don't even have to go look for illustrations. Our brother Lonnie was 53 years old, was in good health. He got sick, went to the hospital, and now we're doing a service for him in a week. I'd say that every single week because it just reminds me as we're doing more and more funerals that you know what? We're not promised tomorrow. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are, how much church you've had, how much you even read the Bible. If you don't put your whole trust in Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross, the Bible says, and repent of your sins. That means turn away from them and turn to God. You won't be saved. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, Brandon, man, if that was me, If I if I didn't make it out of that hospital, I don't know where I would spend eternity. I don't know if I'm right with God, if I have a right relationship with God, but I want to know today. If that's you, just slip up your hand and we're going to pray with you. Over here, see your hands. Even at home, lift up your hand. I can't see it, but the Lord can. Right here to my right. Anybody else? Anybody else? Over here next to the sign booth, I see you, man. Anybody else? Before we pray, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Even at home, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. You can pray a simple prayer, something like this. It do not even have to be exact. It's just you believing. That word means to trust Jesus, that he'll forgive you and save you and help you and that you'll spend eternity with him. Just say, Lord Jesus, come on, let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Lord, I know that I've sinned and I repent of my sin today. I turn to you, and I make you my Lord and Savior. Now give me the grace and the strength to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. Come on, let's celebrate with these this morning. Amen. Amen. Come on, you prayed that prayer for the first time, or the first time in a long time. There's a card in the pew that says connection card. Fill that out online. You can click the connection link. For these last three, why don't you stand up? We're going to pray through these last three, and then I'll send you on your way today. Again, maybe you have been saved, and still the enemy's whispering lies, questioning God's goodness. Maybe, maybe you've had tragedy in your life. Maybe you have heartache. Maybe you prayed a prayer for 20 years, and you feel like God's never answered, or are you going through the thick of it right now. Come on, let's expose the enemy, and we're going to pray against those lies. What about your spouse or a family member? Maybe your dad. Come on, let's pray for marriages right now, amen, and families to be restored. And come on, maybe you need to repent and forgive somebody and not go to bed angry again tonight, amen? And then also, what about your brothers and sisters in church? Come on, as the enemy tried to divide, made accusations against somebody in this very building, maybe that's somebody sitting across this room, the enemy's lie, yes, I understand people heard us and they mess up, but maybe he's been slandering that person to you. Come on, I want to pray for unity in this church and the church abroad. And what about authority? Come on, we're going to pray to stay under authority. Come on, any one of these fours, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray every lie there will be exposed. Lord, we know that you are good. You're a good, good Father. Lord, you're perfect. Your character's perfect. Lord, no matter what happens to us in this life, we know that you are still good. You're a loving Father. You love us and you sent your Son to die for us so we can be forgiven and in relationship with you. Come on, maybe it's just Maybe you're having problems with your spouse, family member, maybe even your dad. Come on, let's pray for for restoration and maybe you've been going to bed angry. Come on, release that this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus I pray, Lord, that there would be unity in marriages, that the the enemy Lord God, plans would be canceled of dividing husbands and wives and parents and children. Lord, I pray that Lord, we release any grudges, any unforgiveness. We make a point not to go to bed angry again tonight, Lord God. We don't want to be under the influence of the devil. We want to see our spouse through your Lord. Now, I pray for Family Life Church and every other church in the body of Christ. We pray for unity, Lord God. We bind up all division in the name of Jesus. Every lie, all slandering, accusations against the body of Christ and one another, we take authority over it in Jesus' name and pray for unity in the body of Christ. Now, Father, help us to stay under the covering of authority, Lord God. Whether it's governmental authority, church authority in our home, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that we don't rebel Lord God, but that, Lord, we just Uh, continue to do what you've called us to do knowing that there's safety and submission first to you and to all of our covering as authority lord god we just surrender to you we expose the enemy and thank you for the power to overcome and be victorious over him in jesus name we pray amen and amen amen Hey, listen, if you need prayer for anything, one of these may be specific where it's going a little deeper and you want to pray, we'll be up here at the altar. If not, God bless you. Daz, grab a bag of cracklings on your way out to snack on on your way to lunch. We love y'all. Happy Father's Day. We'll see you soon.